0: Good morning to everyone here in the Impact Hub in Zurich and to everyone tuning in over the live stream. Welcome to the latest installment of our Bearing Point Talks event series. The topic of today's talk is networks and unstructured data in customer management. My name is Daniel Abakerly, I am a Technology Analyst at BearingPoint and it's my pleasure to be your host this morning. First, we will have the talk and at the end there is the opportunity to have a Q&A session, where we take questions from the live audience here and also from the live chat from the people joining via live stream. My guests today are Ralph Schönenbach, CEO of Envoy. Envoy is a platform that leverages an organization's employee relationships in a trusted manner to increase sales opportunities. Rolf held senior positions with the firms Anderson and Ernest & Young. He also co-founded Trestle Group and Trestle Group Foundation. Good morning, Rolf. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Next, we have Dr. Dorian Zell, CEO and founder of Squiro. Squiro is an advanced context intelligence and insight solution that analyzes structured and unstructured data with machine learning to generate insights. Dorian founded local.ch and made it market leader in four years. Also, he was a partner and COO at NEMIX, the largest e-business consultancy in Switzerland and Germany. He also holds a PhD from the University of St. Gallen. Good morning, Dorian. Thank you for having me. And finally, as our subject matter expert, from BearingPoint, we have Ulf Sanger. He is a senior manager in the digital and strategy practice. His home turf is digital customer management and he has more than 18 years in consumer goods industries of experience. Good morning Ulf. Good morning. So on the topic of networks and unstructured data today, we know that our personal and corporate networks keep growing day to day and we have more and more accounts to manage. And also, there's a lot of information about these contexts, be it in our emails, in our notes, or in the CRM systems itself. However, it's not always easy to retrieve this kind of information out of all these different places and systems, also since much of the data is unstructured. So in this talk today, we would like to explore how companies and individuals can leverage this kind of information to gain more insights about the networks and accounts and the context they have. So to start off and get a feeling for this topic, Dorian, can you tell us what are the main pain points at the moment that keep companies from leveraging this kind of information?
1: The fact that the data that we deal with here is so-called unstructured, a very technical term for data sets such as, as an example, email, call notes, presentations, contracts outside of the company, maybe research or news, it's all perfectly digestible for us humans. If you feed that stuff to a computer, a computer can do little with it. There is a very simple way to test that. Take any of these type of data sets, add them to an Excel, try to make a sum. The result will be hashtag value, or better say nonsensical. That makes it so hard, even though you have all these data sets to do anything sensible with.
0: So yes, we can't put everything in a spreadsheet, unfortunately, so Rolf, how does this translate to networks? What do you experience?
2: I mean, what we see across organizations is that many companies have invested a lot of money and resources into CRM systems, but we find that most people really don't trust sharing all of their valuable contacts with the company. So you have limited information or visibility into the employee networks across the organization, and if you do have data in CRM, a lot of it is out of date. And also, as an individual, our, our networks are spread across uh, many platforms, so LinkedIn, Gmail, Zing, our phone, and to get a big picture of this network and pull it all together, it's, it's very difficult.
0: I agree there. I also myself have a lot of these social media accounts. Oh, I guess it goes the same way with you, what is your experience from the industry, what the pain points are?
3: Uh, what we see is actually that a lot of data is stored in data silos across the world in global companies. They have segregated and different systems not synchronized each other, that makes it hard actually to leverage the know-how and the the networks and data insights they have. Just giving an example, we've seen this this year with a luxury company, with a fashion retailer, they externalized their entire campaign management. So actually personalization is not really possible, etc. And then leveraging data insight is quite just sort of impossible at the very moment.
0: Yeah, so we have a lot of unstructured data, a lot of structured data distributed over many different systems. So, with all these systems, what are actually the requirements of the companies today? So Dorian, could you give us an example from the industry that you experienced yourself, what requirements are there?
1: Sure, maybe you just pick a, a customer of ours to, to explain a bit what's possible if you deal with those type of data sets well. Investec is a medium-sized asset management company based in London and South Africa. They came to us a couple of years ago with the following conundrum. An average relationship manager in their asset management arm, she has to deal with anywhere between maybe 15 to 20 clients on one end, but on the other end with a fund universe that is often in the hundreds of funds big. Any fund is a collection of securities and on any of these securities and the funds, there is lots of news, lots of research, uh, lots of market insights, and market events and impact the performance of these funds. I always call it it's a kind of like a too much for too little. Technically it's possible if you spend the entire time, the entire day and the entire week reading through all the materials about all those funds to be knowledgeable and perfectly in the know about what happens at all these funds. It's just a kind of like impossibility because well first the day is just about 24 hours and even if you do that the next day you're going to repeat that exercise. So, the result of the affair is that many of these relationship managers are actually not in the know what happens with their funds that they deal with on a day-to-day basis for their clients, on behalf of their clients. They miss out, as an example, on personnel changes, something that directly impacts negatively any fund's performance. They uh, miss out on significant events and the underlying securities of which those funds are composed, and, and, and. And here comes in a solution like ours that do exactly that, namely while you focus on the interaction with your customers, go and correlate and monitor all those data sets and bring back to you, here are the three funds, um, Daniel, that you need to look at today because there was a management change, there was an allocation change, there was somewhere a substantial change of the mandate in such a fund and it relates to those three clients of yours to free up time of you to actually work with your clients, what they want to do as a reaction to this change situation. That's where the actual value is.
0: Yeah, thanks. So, now, when I now know what kind of things are happening in the world and to what context I should talk to, maybe how do I even know who to talk to? And I guess that's where you come in, So.
2: I mean, if we just continue with the example in in financial services, if you look at a bank, for example, you have a lot of senior people across the organization in finance, IT, operations, risk. These people all have valuable networks that could help the bank get new clients, but the relationship managers don't know that these relationships exist. So all of this this huge part of the organization is is sitting and it's an untapped resource for the organization. With Invo, you would be able to bring the networks of the whole organization together and see where you have opportunities. And then the RMs could work with the the managing directors or the senior people in the organization to discuss if there's opportunities to bring new clients into the organization. So it would open up huge new sales channels um, that have never been explored before in an efficient way.
0: Ulf, what are your thoughts on the requirements we have? So we have networks, we have this, what Dorian tells us, what is your experience?
3: Having a look, for instance, at larger B2B corporations, right? In account management, you have a lot of unstructured data out of news feeds, news, background checks, whatsoever, research papers. And in account management, actually, it is really necessary to have the full 360 degree, not only on your transactional stuff, but even on the background. Giving an example, for instance, you have a client and his subsidiary is going out under Chapter 11. That is just a useful information, and as early as it is possible, it makes sense out of a business value perspective. So, and actually, to involve these information in your entire account management is by then crucial.
0: So, we really see there is a need for the businesses and the individuals to have a 360 degree, of, 60 degree view of whatever they are dealing with currently. So, we already heard the term data silos, so, not all data is stored in the same way. What kind of other constraints do you see for this to be realized actually in today's to up to date state of the art customer management systems?
3: It has different perspectives. One is actually that you have mostly a segregation, very strong between different departments in a company. You have IT and you have business. But actually the important message is here actually that business value and the customer perspective are your first priority. Otherwise you are just dealing with each perspective but it's not connected to each other. So it's not an IT issue. It's clearly a customer focus and business value perspective. And that's actually one of the main topics. I mean you have a lot of big data but actually what is the relevant information you need actually to extract and from which data sources. And by then you can make the right decisions in terms of effectivity, efficiency and customer management.
0: Are there also any other limitations based on systems that are currently existing in the company already or do you don't see a problem there or a constraint there?
3: The more you have segregated system it makes it much harder of course. So having sort of a platform ecosystem perspective that makes it a bit easier. But you need to have actually a look w- really what is actually delivering the business value out of it.
0: Yeah, So legacy systems seems to be right, a real absolutely. big problem in there, right? These are that's the most, yeah, that's the
3: most problem uh, companies are dealing with, legacy.
0: Yeah, I see. Rolf, do you have any comments on that? Or what is your experience with big data projects like aggregation, for example?
2: Well, I I think one of the challenges we see is if you take a a global organization, depending on how they've grown, either through acquisition or organic growth, a lot of the organizations are, are managed around regions or countries or cities. So you have a lot of different CRM instances across the organization. So you might have one for Switzerland, you might have one for the UK, you might have one for the US, and these systems aren't really talking to each other. But I think the biggest fundamental change that has to happen is to realize that CRM is a perfect platform for for managing leads and managing your sales pipeline But we need to look at a different approach to actually getting access to the the contacts that the employees have and we need to realize that Irregardless of how fancy the CRM system is people still don't feel comfortable sharing their contacts and if they don't feel comfortable Then your dashboards don't look very good. So that's a, a change that we have to accept and I think that You know, what we see is, is, is regardless if it's envoy or not, people need to own their contact data, it needs to be portable, and then they need to be able to plug and play into different CRM environments so that we can leverage the CRM functionality, but keep the data private to the individual. Um, And I think this is a big change that needs to happen.
0: Definitely agree. So, a lot of trust issues regarding different CRM systems. We have different systems, different information systems, a lot of legacy systems. So, uh, now back to the question, how can we solve all this? How can we get around from all these different things? So now, Dorian, would you have an example or uh, what are your ideas your approaches how we could solve this segregated information
1: problem? Sure. To pick up on, on Ralph's point about CRMs and being stores, of data, right? A CRM today, a way to describe that is it's Excel on steroids. (laughs) You input data, have multiple worksheets of that, and we all know in the moment we have multiple worksheets of Excel, the resulting aggregation is most of the times pretty messy. So it is with CRMs. Why it is so? Because most of those aggregation approaches that we have today and they're perfectly fine for numeric data, right? Don't follow me what I'm gonna outline here for anything financial, because otherwise you end up in Enron territory. But most of the data is not of financial type. It is, as an example, a call note about an interaction you had with the customer. It is about, as an example, an inbound request. So there, what we see is instead of going that traditional ETL road, extract, transform, load, that pre-requires a very precise way of matching one Excel or CRM to the other one. What we see happening is that you have a more fluid way to correlate data sets from, say, source A to source B to source C. That is, that as an example, an inbound request in one system from a certain person might be perfectly well be able to correlate as an example to a know-how item in another database. Mm-hmm. How by actually applying a bit of a mix of probabilistic and AI technologies to combine that into one single know-how item, if I may say so. In that sense, I think um, one needs to think rather more like in the broader public what we do every day in terms of like go a Google approach, right? Look at the Google result list. The Google result list is not in absolute terms the best result on place number one that there is. It is the result that with a number of factors, your personal history, your search history, what Google thinks about, a couple of other things, the best possible answer to that query. By no means it's the best in absolute terms. So what I say here it's essentially shades of gray. You approximate the best outcome and in many customer situations that's the thing how it works, right? you ask me a question, I might not have the best answer, I give you the best possible answer in that very moment. And that kind of, you shift a bit of the thinking instead of going with a very structured deterministic approach, which is good for finance, go with a probabilistic uh, best next best action type of thinking after these uh, rather distributed data sets. And then you are gonna get a good uh, first step to have meaningful results that might not be in absolute terms the truth, but might be the next best action to make, as an example, a customer interaction, a more pleasurable exercise than before.
0: I agree. Approximation is definitely necessary with all this unstructured data. And, However, for example, for contact information, I guess approximation may not be the best strategy at all times. Ralph, do you have any insights on what kind of aggregation you're doing in your company?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that we need to build on the concept of a network asset manager. So how do we manage our networks as an asset? And today we all say that our networks are an asset, but how easy is it to actually mobilize that network? And if I look over the past 10 years or 12 years since you know, LinkedIn started, our networks have grown exponentially. So where you know, 100, 200 relationships might have been you know, the business cards I had on my desk, today I have you know, thousands of connections. And when I look at those thousands of connections, I have no insights where to focus. And that's the biggest challenge I see as individuals. We have a lot of valuable relationships in there. And what I find fascinating about what Dorian is doing is that he can help bring in these triggers and these, these insights that would say, you know, you should focus on this part of your network based on what you want to accomplish because there's something happening here. And that would really help people in general because, you know, it wouldn't be this random process of starting from A and then scheduling meetings until you get down through Z, which we never even get down to Z because we give up at G. So I think that let's start treating our, assets, our networks as real assets and, and build the systems around that so that it actually can be managed properly.
0: Thanks. Ulf, what do you see as overall solutions or approaches in addition to what Rolf and Dorian told us?
3: One of the approaches and one of the key success factors from my perspective is create transparency across the entire company. If possible, of course because there are restrictions in terms of regulations and that stuff which needs to be considered. But honestly, tear down the walls. Otherwise, you don't get the 360-degree view. You do not get the transparency about the information over accounts, contacts, transactions, and therefore limited information towards customer relevance, sales, marketing, and service, of course. If you want to have that view aggregated and that's sort of a basis, but if you have to deal with segregated systems, that will be very hard to deal with and hard to manage. So it's sort of a change management approach. So create transparency and that's a message because then you are moving away from data silos. And this heavily relates to the trust part we have with the networks,
0: right? Okay, so uh, now we heard we have different. We had a lot of legacy systems, unstructured, structured information. Now, if you look a bit, I uh, want to look a bit in the future. So how could this change in the future? What kind of new technologies could come in there? And now. Dorian, to you, I know Squiro has its roots in financial services, so rather structured approach with factoring in unstructured information. Do you also have use case or an example uh, from other industries, for example, the manufacturing and production industries, how this could go forward into all the other industries from there?
1: Yes, I do, Daniel. I love to talk about it. Buhler, I don't know if it's known to listeners here in the show this morning or people here in the audience, Muller is uh, the world leader in um, milling machine and food processing equipment. So they produce mills to, as an example, do the wheat with which we had our gift fleet just before the start of the show. Or if you guys are going to have a bit of salad this afternoon for lunch, olive oil, 60% chance it's a Muller mill that this has been processed with. So they really own that hard to make big equipment milling machines. Now, the thing is, this is part of something that concerns us all namely food chains right from the moment some, bought some potatoes leave farm all the way to uh, we have them for for as an example lunch and in our industrialized world there is a lot of food processing going on and in the moment you say food processing you also say potential risks things like spillage things like as an example chemicals that suddenly are contaminating food all types of bacterial and virus uh, diseases that could affect the quality of the food. So what we did together with Buller is the world's first food risk monitoring solution. It's called safefood.ai. It's available online for everybody free to use, where we from thousands and thousands, millions of sources gather information about potential food risks in the whole food chain across the globe things like salmonella infections, things like just last week in Germany, glass splinters in some packaged bread, or things like E. coli bacteria and all the rest of it. By the way, if you look at it, you it's a good diet. Now, why do we do that? The reason is very simple, food affects us all. We need to know what we eat. And this is a perfect example of how you can apply these type of technologies also outside, say, financial services by taking in all types of internal and external data sets, combine them, aggregate them, analyze them, and be able to say here is something you should or you should not do. And that is a very powerful um, way to monitor actually risks in the food chain.
0: Yeah, so we can expect to see a lot of, I guess, dashboards in the end of the, all this aggregated information to give us hints like on where to act to act next in all yeah. different kinds of industries. Good. Now to, to another topic with regarding uh, predictive sales also in the future with this technology. I guess this is the next logical step to take. If you have all this information, how can we make business out of it? We're all your insights. What? Do you, how do you think? these kind of digital insights can impact predictive sales.
2: Well, I think that if we can get a bigger view on the relationship capital of an organization, there's tremendous opportunity. So today it's a very small view, mainly concentrated within the sales organization. But if you could take that whole senior layer of an organization globally and tap into that, that would be your, your starting point. And then if you, if you marry that with resources like Dorian provides, you know, then you're able to get a bigger view on that portfolio. And actually, instead of reactively sourcing clients, you could proactively source clients based on where you see assets in this relationship capital. And that's what I find extremely exciting because you would be able to go down by industry or by company and you would say, okay, we have a huge you know, strength of relationships in the pharma industry that we didn't even know that we have. We should really invest some time to see if we have solutions for that or if we should go into that. But today, if you look at an organization, I mean, no organization has any clue what the relationships are across that whole senior management part of the company. So I think that with innovative technologies and, 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 you know, ways that balance people's um, ability to keep control of their data and privacy, we'll have much more transparency into these uh, opportunities.
0: Thanks. Um, Ofa, do you see that predictive sales in the future?
3: It goes in the direction Ralph pointed out, especially in the topic where to play and how to win, and therefore in supporting effectivity and efficiency in sales and marketing. We have seen that in the manufacturing industry recently, where one company is divided into several global business units with different products and each sales team dedicated to their business unit and country is dealing with their accounts, but they are at some point global accounts. So one sales team doesn't know what the other is doing, and worse, which relationships they build. So here creating transparency first is important. And second, if you have consolidated the knowledge, then you start predictive sales as a support for the front and beyond classical reporting, which requires different tools, enriched by unstructured data, and then becomes very interesting to see how the efficiency in sales is raising, I think this is one of the major topics really evolving now.
0: So information aggregation will be the key in the end. Dorian, do you have any additional comments or thoughts on that and predictive sales in the future?
1: I think sales, depending on the type of product category, will be still a people business. Say B2B sales is a people business. I don't foresee anyone suddenly buying for hundreds of thousands of dollars or Swiss francs hardware or software kind of like in the cloud without ever having spoken to the vendor for a number of good reasons because these are normally complicated systems to introduce and all the rest of it. So for those aspects, as an example, what can Predictive do? It can guide you to maybe the more valuable opportunities. It can guide you to just like all said, see a more broader and more complete picture about what to do next, that, that I see. I will see also that predictive sales will have a lot of potential in, in, say, B2C markets where it is all about automation and actually large flows of people that you can compute out certain patterns and then obviously reply to them. So I see it depends a bit on which area you want to apply these type of technologies and how to apply
3: them. Let me add here something. B2C business is a different picture. What we see here is an evolving increase on machine-based transactions and interactions like chatbots, for example enriched by unstructured data, which creates patterns. Based on patterns, you can predict reactions. So what is recommendable as the next best action to be offered as a service or as a product to customers? But then you get much better data insights. Of course, your products or services will change. And you know clearly much more about your audiences, their demands and their preferences. So, as I hear from all
0: this topic, from all these points, is that there will be a lot of automation happening in the future. There will be a lot of information provided. Um, and I guess one could raise the fear that in the end you're kind of taking away the sales instinct from, from the salespeople themselves, right? Because now we have algorithms and structured data. So how is your view on that? Will the market, will our sales team be replaced more or less with algorithms in certain areas, of course?
2: is that you know people buy from people and I mean there has to be a solid product behind it but I mean I've also seen not solid products sold (laughs) because the person has a good relationship so I think that that's not going to go away I think that what will help salespeople is that you know intuition I don't know if it's a science or if it's more of a gut feel but I think that with more information that helps a person navigate their networks they'll be more effective with their time And I think that that's that's what's really critical right now. It's not that we don't have the relationships, it's, you know, which relationships do I focus on today? Which relationships do I need to warm up and keep them, you know, alive for the future when I need that? And if you have 2,000 connections, it's, it's virtually impossible. I mean, you really go back to Excel and that's, I mean, not fun.
3: What I think is that certain steps within the sales funnel will be automated and certain will definitely remain as a matter of personal sales. That requires the support from the machine on one hand, but personal skills on the other, like Dorian mentioned earlier.
0: So we see the technology will be facilitating in the future on what we should actually focus on in our day-to-day business and not creating us precise action plans on what to do, is just because there's so much of noise to cut through, which is not probably not human possible on a daily basis. As you mentioned before, Dorian, if you read all the information every morning, we probably don't get to work that day <laughs> or every day at, at anything. So, um, thank you very much. That was the, most of the questions we have covered in this talk. So now I would like to open to the audience here in the Impact Hub and also over the, uh, over the live stream through the live chat if you have any questions. So, for any of them, feel free to ask.
3: Thank you very much for more insights. Uh, I heard the term uh, relationship asset management. Um, do you have any example of a company where um, that cultural change so that people would open up and share their networks for the good of the company that actually worked and, and what kind of factors played into this uh, cultural change?
2: I wish I did, <laughs> but I, in my discussions I, I don't find that. Um, I, I find the same feedback all the time, yes we have CRM, but I would never put my contacts in CRM. And you can't force me, these are my relationships. And if I leave, I want those relationships to go with me. I do see, you know, from the outside in organizations like McKinsey, for example, use their networks very well and are very effective. Um, I have no insights into the actual systems that they use, but I do see that the McKinsey network, the alumni of McKinsey are are very helpful in keeping that business running. So there are companies, I would say, that, that have such networks and such a culture Um, But I I don't find that this is the norm, I find this is quite the exception.
3: On one hand, you have the relationship in the CRM, but it doesn't help if a person is leaving the company. But then the company has this contact in the database, but it doesn't help to maintain the relationship to this contact. It will remain a matter of personal relationship. Okay, so then we
0: have a question from
3: our live chat, which actually goes into the same direction rather with a concern
0: about that or Asking what kinds of benefits and problems do you see from consolidating all this unstructured information in regards to the GDPR that we now have? So, being able to relate all this kind of information back to certain people, extracting it, what is your view on that?
1: Well, you know, GDPR, one of the, I think, overlooked aspects of GDPR is the so called subject access request. By GDPR law, you have now an an opportunity to go at any company and ask what do you have about me? And if you don't reply as a company to that request within a certain amount of time, you're liable to fees and punishment and whatever else. Now the thing is this, if you're not consolidating and aggregating your company data well, you'll not be able to make a truthful statement to that subject access request. In the moment you not do that, you open up yourself to a second charge of liability, right? Because you have not truthfully replied to that subject access request. So whether we like it or not, one of the overlooked pieces of GDPR forces any company to think through its data aggregation strategy. Because for good reason, not everything is probably in one pot, but is distributed in a number of pots, say from CRM to production systems to service systems. But the subject access request thing makes a uniform request across all of these. And there is another aspect to it, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear that. If I'd be a bad boy with some relationship to some Eastern European cyber stalkers, I'd simply file a gazillion subject access requests to one company. And then about three hours before the 72 hours time period goes over, I'd call there and say, listen, Fox, I can make this go away. If you wire some bitcoins to whatever bank account right because the consequence of this not going away you're going to be put up in court so whether we like it or not you need to increase your capacity to reply to such pieces it will become whether we like it or not something that every business has to do it will be simply Going concern, these kind of, of requests. It takes another year or two or three till somebody figures this out properly and till it made its way through the courts. But it is not something that we should deal lightly with.
0: Any other comments
2: from Uwe Farrell? I mean, just from my side, I see that
1: with GDPR, it's really
2: put a spotlight on, well, also on CRM data. And, and from my perspective, you know, where we used to think of this, these relationships in CRM as an asset, they're now potentially a huge liability. And I think that you know, what I find with Envoy is the approach that the networks are uh, stored at the individual level where the relationships are. And the CRM then manages the existing client relationships. And this balance of two is, I think, a perfect way to overcome GDPR. So individuals own the relationships with the people that they know, which is allowed by GDPR. And at an aggregated level, you have a good view of your existing client base. So that's, that's how we're tackling this, this topic, and I see that there's a lot of opportunities for organizations to leverage this construct.
3: Just another point of view is here. If you collect unstructured data, you need to be aware just what kind of collection and aggregation of data takes place. Which information do I really involve in my system, which not, for instance, birthday, from the informations out of LinkedIn. If I receive specific informations about a client, I need to decide, do I collect those data or do I leave them away? That's sort of a decision you need to make.
0: Thanks. Are there any other questions? Yeah, way up there. I think the whole area you're hitting on around relationship uh, assets, information assets, is part of a bigger theme about data. In our all information right now that we're all living with, what do you think has to change in the minds of business and IT to start really understanding the value of this information and how to leverage it properly?
1: I think it needs maybe a couple of more years and a different type of CFO slash CEO. Let me explain. If you open up a reporting of any mid-size to large-size company, you will find substantial expense, both capex and opex, in investments in data acquisition, into data upkeep, and all the rest that's associated with IT infrastructure and the like. If any of those investments would be put to a quite normal test of business, what's my return on investment? In almost all cases, it is about the same like you would buy a lovely Tesla, drive it from the dealership to your home and throw away the key and never use it again. Right? That's what data is all about. The economist points to the fact just as about 1% on average of data acquies, uh, acquired is actually put to use. As I said, just like driving a car once to your home and then never use it again. Now, you know, if you're in another line of business, say I spoke about Buller, if Buller makes a capital investment into a new production line and the investment proposal reads like, we're going to invest in this magnificent new factory we're going to invite all for an opening ceremony but immediately after the opening ceremony and we'll close the factory and never use it again guess what that person probably gets the boot on that very moment he or she makes that proposition right so the thinking in the line of business to make um, capital to use put it to use and make something valuable with it on behalf of the company that same thinking needs to come into the whole IT and uh, internet, whatever you want to call it, data function of a company. And I think that's a question of the people who are in there uh, that's a question of the views and technologies that are there. But I do not think a CIO will ever go away again in three five years by making a capital investment proposition where he cannot or she cannot justify the return on in investment to her CEO
2: we don't really know how much data to share. <laughs> so we're kind of like, do I share all my Fitbit data or do I keep it private? And you know, I think it's also a generational thing. I mean, it's, I see a younger generation that clicks on accept everything and data is going everywhere and we don't know how this data is being used. So I think as consumers, we're, we're gonna have to decide, do we wanna plug into this world of all these exciting opportunities that can be delivered to us if that data is given to them? and if we're compensated for that data in some way, or do we feel that that's just too much of ourselves out there that could be misused? I think that that's where I also struggle myself every time you read a terms and condition, you know, this is gonna access your phone's contacts, it's gonna access your email, it's gonna do that, and you're like, well, I just wanted to share photos, you know, so what are they doing with all this other stuff? So I think that as a consumer, you know, that's evolving as well, and I think businesses are trying to, I think businesses today are almost a bit ahead of the consumer in terms of what they could do with that data if you give it to them, but I think the consumer, him or herself, is not quite comfortable
3: yet, do I want to do that, and what's the consequence of that? An interesting point is here. A lot of companies are looking towards new developments at the US and the Silicon Valley. But from my perspective, it makes much more sense to have a look at China and how data-driven business models are working there and how transactions and interactions with customers and companies are developing. I mean, this is a completely different picture. Of course, you can judge that in different ways, especially in transparency, often a full 360 on every single customer. But how data-driven models are working in reality, that's worth to have a look at China from my perspective. Have you seen any incentive models which which would facilitate something like this? (laughs) Well, I've seen the old-school one. You know, we pay
2: you, so put your contacts in. (laughs) Maybe a bit Um, more
3: innovative.
2: (laughs) I think one of the challenges that it's really hard to you have to have accountability in this whole process so if i do make that introduction there needs to be an auditable trail that i get credit for that and oftentimes i make the introduction and then as the number of discussions go on my benefit kind of gets fades away and then i don't get compensated for that so i think there has to be a very transparent model in place for how a person is rewarded and you have to track that quite carefully but i've i've not seen you know beyond just you know a commission type model or an incentive that really works getting people to share contacts. Um, not specifically with CRM.
3: Interesting point is here depends on the CRM system here as well. Is it just a database or like modern CRM, which come completely native on mobile like Salesforce, which has a great platform driven customer engagement vision across sales, service and marketing. These modern systems focus not only on data insights, but on integrated direct collaboration around all customer processes including all workflows, approvals and whatsoever across all involved departments, of course. So if you do not have stored your data in your CRM, your collaboration doesn't work. So that is sort of a policy-driven, system-based incentivization.
1: We see an interesting experiment in our own company. We obviously use the stuff we sell, do that to ourselves. So as an example, in our own CRM, we score out leads for a BD team. And if the BD team wants to be successful, they got to know now it's probably the best place to look at because the system in itself scores them out uh, the leads that have the highest chance and the highest probability for them to be successfully converted into an opportunity. And uh, while at the beginning, and as always, these kind of things take time, Tony yesterday when the system, for whatever bloody hell, had a little hiccup for two minutes, complained pretty loudly on the internal messaging system uh, that the system was down. Where are my leads? I need to make my quota today. So instead of suddenly being just a system of record, uh, for him it starts to make a transition to be a system of insight.
0: Okay, so if there are no more questions I'd like to to wrap it up. So we heard we want to have 360-degree views of our customers about all the data we have. There's issues with a lot of segregated data systems, with legacy systems, but there are hopes that we can aggregate all this information with solutions like provided from Envoy, provided from SquareO and the sorts of. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this is going to work out in the future. And at this point I want to end the talk. Thank you very much for all of you being here. Dorian, Rolf, Ulf, it was a pleasure to have a talk with you. And also thank you very much for the live audience here in the Impact Hub in Zurich and also for everyone who joined us over the live stream. And I hope you have a great day for the rest of it. See you next time.